Hello and welcome to the Deep Show and Bear podcast. My name is Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boffer, man. How are we? Unbelievable, Sean. Truly unbelievable. I just stacked up on rice paper rolls. Ooh, I just stacked up on... Oh, okay. Now you beat me there. Um, I stacked up on olive gnocchi. Olive gnocchi? Like the olives in the gnocchi? No. Yeah, but um, it was sort of like mushed up. I bought it from the shop, so I didn't make it. But Mm. it was like mushed up um, olives in the gnocchi. So the the actual little, what would you call it? The beads. (laughs) Not the beads. Were um, like a sort of greeny color, like a olive color, believe it or not. Interesting. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't recommend it to be honest. Yeah, I don't like olives, so you lost me up literally in the first word. Yeah, I don't love them, but you know, just separate your yeah, what's it called? Your potato and your olives from from here on out, people. Yeah, keep those. Got to keep them separated. Paying tribute to the offspring from that song in the nineteen nineties, and for any of your offspring fans out there, not the show. <laughs> um, the the Australian serial drama, but the Californian punk rock band. Yeah, man, I bought I bought one of their albums last week. You're actually a fiend. Yeah, man, um, fiend I, I for a hard them. copy album. <laughs> I do love my hard copy albums. I found an op shop that was open during the pandemic, which is probably reckless by them, but fuck, it was good just to wander through a heap of shit for the first time and like and touch weeks. everything that everyone else has already touched. Yeah, fuck, that's probably yeah. a better way to put it. No, nah, because if someone had it, they wouldn't go into the off shop. You would be going to Woolworths and getting sustenance to, <laughs> to food. True. It's true. All right, let's talk about basketball. Please. <laughs> um, let's just start off with a little bit of the news. Uh, and first things first, something that is pretty much a fait accompli, but Lomelo Ball has declared for the NBA draft, which is... We're not really breaking any ground there, but one thing that happened earlier in the week was the a report came out from NBC Sports that the Washington Wizards are extremely, not extremely, but interested in drafting one said LaMelo Ball, and they sent multiple scouts down to Australia to scout him throughout the NBL season, and they had one full-time scout that was permanently on LaMelo, which is... You know, great. Uh, obviously, they've they've pinpointed this guy as someone who they should look to be drafting wherever they wherever they are drafting. Um, I am not going to overreact to this because I think fifteen NBA teams would have done the exact same thing. It's just not reported on. Uh, what say you, Dante? Yeah, I mean, sick. Good job for them. The Two things I think are most important in this discussion is the fact that they're not going to have a pick that's close enough to get him because if he goes in the top five, they're, um, they'll probably have a pick you know, according to the odds that comes in around 10 or 12. So unless they're trading up to get him, then that's not happening. But also they have two guards, the position that he plays on max contracts. So you can't have two guards on max contracts and then sink into sink another top 10 pick into that same position when you have needs of, you know, you need like a, you need a, anyone who can defend, which probably isn't going to be Mello's strong suit. Definitely not in his first couple of seasons. Yeah. It just sounds like there'd be redundant skill sets between Wall and Beal, except that um, with Lamello, except that, you know, like Lamello probably doesn't do anything of the specialties of those guys as well. They're probably not as good a passer as 
wall and he's definitely not as good a scorer as Beal. So it's like, well, what's he there for? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to push back on that a bit and say, okay. When it comes to the draft, like, yeah, yes, you're right. The Wizards, unless they pull like a Jar Morant with Memphis, the Wizards probably aren't going to be at that level where, or at that, that draft slot where they can draft him. But I think if you have identified this guy as the best player in the draft, you should always draft best player available. Uh, I think no matter what it looks like, like if, if Golden State have this pick and Golden State sees Lomelo as the best player in the draft, I think they draft him and worry about having, again, a guard while Stefan Clay are there. I, I think you worry about that later. I am a huge proponent of draft the best guy. Otherwise, you end up with Tristan Thompson on your team. Yeah, but I mean, drafting the best guy works better when there's a consensus best guy. Yeah, but yeah. You, you would rather... No, but best guy in terms of your individual team board. So, like, if... if yeah, you... no, no, I know. But, like, it's easier for you to, you know, like concoct your team board when, you know, looking at the top of the draft, when there's some idea of who's going to go first. Whereas now it's like there, it could be LaMelo Ball, yeah. it could be Killian Hayes, the point guard from France, it could be Anthony Edwards, the shooting guard from Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably another couple of names that, that could be thrown in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, you know, power to them. Congratulations. I'm happy for them. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to those other guards that we're talking about. Um, and John Wall came out earlier in this week and said that he is ready to come back and play alongside Beal. And quote, I have no problems with Brad. He just wants to win as much as I do. Um, that is a great quote. And it is a PR layup. And he is doing exactly what he should be doing. Whether this will happen in person, I know you are skeptical of it. I want to put my conspiracy hat on for a second and this time push back on what you've said because I it is a a PR layup but let's read between the lines (laughs) anytime you're starting the sentence with I have no problems with insert person Mm. you probably have a problem with them if he was like you know if I'm talking about Bradley Beal and my teammate who I love and I want to play with and he wants to win I'm saying I love Brad. He's a great teammate. I love playing with him. He wants to win as much as I do. I'm not saying I have no problems. With like, yeah, but what if the question was, do you have any problems with Bradley Beal? Even if that's the question, you, you know, I don't know. If someone said, Sean, do you have any problems with Dante? And I said, oh, I have no problems with Dante. He wants to podcast as much as I do. Would you be if like... You, <gasps> no, but you wouldn't answer the question though. If someone said, what do you think of him? You'd go, oh yeah, he's, I, you know, I love him. He's a great guy. Yeah. Enjoy doing the podcast with him. He, he, you know, I like the, All right, you can, I like you the, can he does <laughs> yeah, talk but... myself up a little bit. I, I'm reading between the lines and I think that Wall's public reputation as like a prickly guy is well earned. And I find it hard to believe that the same dude who signed his deal and then the next year Reggie Jackson signed a deal that was bigger because the cap went up and he was like, Reggie Jackson's getting more than me. And then the same thing happened with Beal where Wall signed his deal and then two years later Beal signed his deal because the cap went up and then Wall's like, you're paying Brad Beal more than me? Mm. I find it hard to believe that that dude is going to watch his team his teammate who was always the underdog, like he's always like the second banana come in average 35 and six a game. And he's going to be like, Oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm cool. Like I'm, I'm totally fine. I'm happy to come back in and, you know, like 
be Bradley Beal's, you know, mm. right hand man. What's going to happen is there's going to be beef on that team. I just, yeah, we've talked about this before, man, and it's it's a very slow news week when we are leading off with yes, Lamelo Ball and a little bit of interest there. But the second biggest thing, arguably, that we're talking about is a useless quote from John Wall. But I think this can work. I I am optimistic about the Wizards. Again, they're not going to stop anybody, uh, and yeah. Brian isn't an anchor in any sense of the word. It's just uh, I'm not just going to write him off because he's a weirdo. Like, mm. I am. <laughs> I'll see you in the lottery the next year, Wizards. This is we're jumping around here, but do you reckon the Brooklyn Nets will win a title in the next two seasons? No, because KD and Curry are weirdos, or you just don't trust their legs. Um, probably a combination of both, but also like healthy KD and Kyrie. I'm not like. I'm not 100% sure that's better than a number of other like star duos in the league. Like, I'm not sure that it's LeBron better than yeah. Golden State. I'm not sure that it's better than Houston. I'm not sure it's better than either of the LA teams. Like That already you know, puts them in fifth place, plus mm-hmm. Kevin Durant's coming back from an Achilles, plus Kyrie Irving has like broken his kneecap multiple times. Yeah. Um, factor in that they're both freaks and they don't have a team. They don't have a coach at the moment. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say yes I'm going to take the field with that one yeah fair enough Um, and then next bit of news during the week was that the Ball Brothers the whole family has signed with Jay-Z's Rock Nation Um, I love how the report came out that the Ball Brothers will be when obviously it's just Lonzo and Lamello at this point I don't think we will be seeing Leandro Ball in the NBA that's not really a hot take Um, he's currently playing for the OKC Blue if I am not mistaken. No, you're not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the Ball Brothers are going to be represented by Raymond Brothers, who that is one singular person. And his notable other clients include Spencer Dinwiddie, Michael Fultz, Al Frukamenu, Danny Green, and Willie Colley-Stein. So pretty fucking vanilla, if you ask me. Like, you know, Al Frukamenu arguably got overpaid, Spencer Dinwiddie's underpaid, but good that he got the certainty off his injury. Danny Green's properly paid. Willie Cauley-Stein is, you know, you could say that maybe Raymond Brothers stuffed up there and said you should go elsewhere and look for a better deal and a better deal didn't materialise, but I think this is just pretty an average move, but also with everything attached to Ball and Jay-Z, it's just star power. Yeah, it is. I mean, the Willie Cauley-Stein thing is, you know, talking about Kyrie and KD, and KD wasn't helped by the fact that he, like them, is a weirdo. Um, and like another uh, intoxicating blend of prickly personality and complete and utter like unhinged personality. Um, so no one was giving him money once they heard what was going on between him and Sacramento. Um, yeah, I mean, again, like all of these agents... You know, like I don't know that any one agent in particular is going to get um, a better deal. Get what? these guys, yeah, better deals. Like, I mean, like Lamelo is not going to be able to negotiate his deal for another five years. He's going to get drafted, and if everything goes according to plan, they'll pick up his team option, and then they'll exercise the fifth year option. So, you know, like, he'll be there for five years, um, and 
um, Lonzo is probably going to, like Lonzo's market though, he's probably set, you know, mm-hmm. in like the 10 to 15 million range. There's probably not a lot that he can do aside from like becoming an all-star, which is probably not going to happen. That's going to boost it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's on the, the Goran Drogas trajectory and he's going <laughs> to... He's going to sit there for most of his career unless something pops, which is fine. He's a a solid starting point guard, I think. So, yeah, this Grand Jagic, my guy. <laughs> it's not like he signed with uh, Clutch Sports, and it's like, oh, well, is he going to end up teaming up with LeBron or something like that? We are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. There's, yeah, I'm not too crazy on it. So, talk about the Kings. So there's a report from Sam Amick of The Athletic that Luke Walton and Vlade Divac are very likely to return to the team next season. Not surprising considering that Vlade Divac has been owner of Vivek Ranadive's right-hand man for the entire time that he's owned the team and has developed a reputation around the league as untouchable despite the um, numerous trade calamities that trade and free agency calamities that he has visited upon the team. And Luke Walton has made this team worse uh, than they were a year ago when a lot of people, including us, were very high on them, pushy, pushing for the uh, the eight seed. He took the team you know, to a slower pace and turned them away from the success that they had. So mm. um, the Kings, presumably locking in the front office and coaching duo that have mired them in mediocrity for the time being. <laughs> Yeah, nothing more to say here. I think it is the right thing to do to obviously stick with your guys, stick with the guys who have got you to where you are, whether you know it's debatable where they are now, but there's no point in changing a coach. There's nothing that you can really do that will uh, boost them up to where they need to be um, unless they're going to bring back... Uh, who's the... Who's the... Dave Yeager, unless they're going to bring back Dave Yeager. Yeah. That's... Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Who's the best coach out there? Like, is it Kenny Atkinson? Kenny Atkinson, yeah. I think... You know, I'd actually like that, but uh, you know, you don't want to change your coach, especially for a guy who you've signed on a long-term deal, being the guy Luke Walton to coach these players to the next uh, great uh, Kings team, which is funny to say. But um, yeah, yeah, you, you don't really want to cut bait on someone who you've invested so much into. Already. No, you've got to give him. You've got to give him at least two years. But it is worrying because. Let's just say that like the season's done and the Kings are not going to be in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. we've seen everything that we're going to see from the Kings this season. Next season, Luke Walton will be in probably like a prove it year. Like if the Kings finish tenth next year, he's probably going to be fired. Mm-hmm. Darren Fox will be in his fourth year, so he's just about ready to you know be a restricted free agent. Mm-hmm. Marvin Bagley will be in his third year. And we pretty much don't know what Marvin Bagley is as a prospect. And now yeah. he's going to be, you know, now he's going to be in his year to age 22 season. We don't know anything as about. As a big man as well. Yeah, we don't know anything about how he projects going forward. We don't know anything about the lineup combinations that work best for him. They're going to shell out huge money for Bogdanovich this offseason. Probably have to be you know, $20 million per year. Yeah. Um, and then they're probably going to have to trade Buddy Heald. And knowing, you know, the returns that Vlade's got from previous trades is not a lot. So who knows what they're going to get for Heald. Like, this could be a very, very messy situation where we look back on the second half of last season where everyone was like, the Kings, the Kings are coming, it's their time, they're rising, and be like, what the fuck was that? You know, like, this team is on the... This team is really, really on the verge of, like, collapsing into... 
Media, you know, the, the depths of history, like, you know, it, when it looked like they were going to break through, but like, you know, not, their record didn't suggest that they were going to break through. It could just be, yeah. when you look at the last 20 years, it could just be that they, you know, got lucky and had an aberration of a season where they finished 500. <laughs> Kings are in a very precarious position here going forward. The Kings are in a very Kingsian position, but it's, yeah, it's pretty grim looking at the salary sheet. Obviously, uh, they signed Corey Joseph to that big deal uh, last season. Big for, relatively big. That's $12 million a year for a guy who's 28 years old this year and backing you up, um, backing up the point guard. But, like, you know, one of their best players is Rashawn Holmes, who is getting paid uh, just, just north of $5 million next season. But he's 26 and he's, you know, arguably not a not a piece of the future. That would be Marvin Bagley's position. So, yeah, it's uh, I feel bad for friend of the pot or less because he has to follow these guys. But it is it is really grim because if this team can't break through next season, then you've just got this core that hasn't really proven it, and you're going to be drafting around 15, 12 to fifteen for the next couple of years because it might be hard to trade Buddy Heald and it might be hard to really change the team either one way or the other, whether that be get into the playoffs or tank low enough to draft a top-tier guy. So it's uh, just depressing. It is a bit depressing. Precarious, precarious time to be a member of that organisation. <laughs> um, let's shift gears now and get into the meat and potatoes of today's pod. I was going to say something like the olive gnocchi combine the <laughs> potato but we'll stick with meat and potato so what we're doing today is really fun and maybe a little bit you know like good to look back on have a laugh maybe it'll be a little bit sad but we're looking back at the headlines and feature articles from old slam magazines mm-hmm. so when i was first getting into basketball 2011 2012 and 2013 a religiously collected slam magazine. If you don't know what it is, it's basically like this American basketball magazine that just does like interviews and photo shoots and that sort of thing. And there was always like a cool poster that you could like rip out of it. And I put them all up on my wall and shit. So that's so the, awesome. the number one, yeah, super awesome. The number one thing about slam retrospectively <laughs> is that it was just a hype factory. Like, <laughs> You, you, like they're like you've got a pulse let's do a hype piece about you it's like you <laughs> you know like you had one good season it's like all right three page spread with full photo shoot accompaniment like this guy got next and it's like looking back they just did it for everyone so that <laughs> there's like so many articles where it's like ah oh. um but there's some really interesting look back like looked back into not only the nba like seven eight nine years ago and how players were perceived at the time, but like where players ended up, like where we, you know, you know how in like you look at like science fiction from like the fifties and then like in 2020, there'll be like flying cars and now we're in 2020 and it's like, Oh, like it's you know, so different. It's like the same kind <laughs> of vibe. We're stuck at home. We can't even get in a car. <laughs> yeah. When it turns out slam in 2011 was really high on Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love. So it's like sick. Let's step back in time. Um, <laughs> So, all right, so they're taken from the 2011, 2012, and 2013 seasons, um, and we're going to start with one from 2012. So this is a feature on James Harden titled Project X. It's just before the playoffs that season, so it's probably like in March or um, Mm. April of that season. So that's when um, when Harden, Westbrook, and Durant 
along with the Barker, were still on the Thunder and they made the finals and lost in five to LeBron's Heat. So the um, like the um, big quote from this article is from James Harden. If I was on a different team, maybe I'd be getting the headlines, but I don't know how good a record we would have. And the big takeaway from that is that like two and a half months after this was, um, not two and a half months, four to five months after this article was published, he was traded to the Rockets. We all know the story since then. They won 45, 54, 56, 41, 55, 65, and 53 games since then. So that's pretty, it's a pretty decent record since then. So moral of the story, 23-year-old James Harden, back yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to expand on your point about Slayer magazines, I also, that was one thing that I did. I did collect them when I was first getting into basketball. And uh, one thing I did at the end of last year was actually buy a subscription because I think it was on sale or something and I bought myself like an early Christmas present. So I've actually got the last three editions just hanging about. But when you mentioned that we were going to be doing this topic, um, I tried to find my old ones, but I couldn't actually find them. But things that I do remember were obviously ripping out the posters. And I remember I had a poster in my room and it was of Dwayne Wade in a Chicago jersey. Like that one year he was in Chicago. Um, and I was just I was just thinking about it. I'm like, God, that poster would like has aged terribly. It's like it's like having a poster of Toronto Raptors who came Elijah on at this point, or like, you know, Washington MJ. So that's uh that's not the greatest, but there's one article I always remember, and it was it was Gordon Hayward um, when he still had his fringe over his eyes, and he was talking about how, like, you know, as every single slam article is, Gordon Hayward's got next. And um, it was talking about how when he was in Butler, uh, he was also a really good tennis player, and he was considering going pro in tennis or basketball. And it seems like with these athletes, they're just, like, spoiled with athleticism, and it's always, like you know, X player plays football and basketball, this player plays soccer and something. And, you know, they're always really good at multiple sports, but I was like fucking tennis. Like that's, I've never heard of any player be good at tennis and something else. Like no matter what the sport is, like doesn't exactly have many uh, abilities, probably because you use a racket that you don't use in any other sport apart from squash. But I just thought, fuck Gordon Hayward, that is such an on-brand Gordon Hayward thing to do, to be really good at tennis and like, the next like great uh what's called the next great male uh american tennis player but luckily he didn't and uh did what he did because he is fun to watch when healthy but yeah who is uh let me digress who is the next james harden that slam has titled as projects x in uh in today's nba do you think <laughs> you just highlighted the doc that we're looking at and i just went kyle anderson i'm like he can't be serious <laughs> <laughs> no it's not um it's not kind of i don't know the do, do you mean in the sense of like someone who is like waiting to be traded and have a breakout or someone yeah. who slam is gonna like overhype? oh no i was just sort of using the slam to segue into who someone that's in a bit role now that once they get traded can just explode like there doesn't there's no all the six men now are six men like lou will who are gonna be six men you know who is someone that like well, I think someone who we just talked about, um, Bogey Bogdanovich yeah. from um, Sacramento, because he's going to go somewhere where like they're going to use him. You know, it's not going to not going to a team like like a team like the Hawks with no interest in taking the ball out of Trey Young's hands. He's not going to pay him. He's going to go to 
a place where he's either going to be, he'll probably go to a place where he's going to start. And then when the starters um, sit, he'll say on with a, a bench heavy unit and kind of like play that six man role. But mm. he, he's averaging something like 14 and four this season. I could easily see him in like the higher teams with six assists or something. Like it's not going to be, you know, like a James Harden breakout because I think there, it might be another 20 years before we have another trade like that where, you know, some dude who is clearly really, really good gets traded and then instantly becomes like a top 10 player the next season. Yeah. But yeah, I no, think... That is way too hard to do. Yeah, I think in terms of like role, someone who like he's going to have a bigger role next season, I think Bogdanovich is probably a pretty good bet. Yeah, he sort of sniped me there because that was the guy that I was going to say. I can't really think of anyone. Like, I'm just looking around at rosters at the moment and god i really wish you didn't say bogey but that's all right we can be in agreement yeah no we're allowed to be in agreement um yeah i think that or one of the celtics guys because the celtics have heaps of wings and jalen brown and jason tatum and marcus smart um and and gordon hayward as well so you think not all of them can be there i mean they've proven that they can all play well together and They've, they're extremely deep at the wing positions, but I think if one of them does go, one of them that isn't uh, called Gordon Hayward, because he's probably this is as good as he gets at the moment. I think mm-hmm. if one of them finds the way elsewhere, that would be look. It's probably going to be Jalen Brown. If Jalen Brown goes elsewhere because that team gets a bit too expensive and they want to put some assets elsewhere and put some money elsewhere, I think Jalen Brown could be that next guy. And he's in that age range as well, where he is still getting better and a change of scenery could up his minutes and up his touches, but also just getting better as well could really make him explode. But yeah, there's no real, there's no real, you know, six man on the bench just waiting for that breakout, is there? I think that speaks to just how like singular both Harden's talent and that situation were. Like there's never been a team that stacked that much young talent Mm. so early in their careers. Um, And like, it was obvious that Harden was going to be good. It was obvious that Harden was going to be maybe like a 20, to 23-point scorer wherever else he went. But it wasn't obvious that he was going to be instantly like a 25, 30-point scorer and like lead his team to the Western Conference Finals. Like that, you couldn't have necessarily been comfortable saying that when he was on the um, on the Thunder. So, you know, that's the, that's the saving grace of them, you know, recruiting even a shred of, you know, like dignity. Henry because, Martin. <laughs> yeah. And Stephen Adams, that is, yeah, that that is a shred of value. But, well, look at that segue, man. Speaking of Stephen Adams, let's move on to the 2012 high school All-American class. Okay, so one thing that Slam loved was hyping up high school players. (laughs) So, um, in 20, I think it was 2011, they had... um, a cover article, a fucking cover article called Ill Future with um, Anthony Davis flanked by Austin Rivers and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. So, like, you know, hold on to your hats there, Austin Rivers and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Believe it or not, they were the three best players coming out of that high school class. And everyone was like, whoa, these guys are going to be good. We now know Austin Rivers from being okay and Michael Kidd Gilchrist from being not that good. Um, but fast forward one year and they've got this big multi-page spread about the All-Americans from the high school season. So it was really fun for me going back through these articles because you see like a bunch of names of people who you remember, remember when they went to college, like in this class, in the second team, there was a guy called LeBrian Nash who was like this 6'8 combo forward, 
went to Oklahoma State, was supposed to be like a top five pick going into draft and then had like a disastrous senior, like, or maybe it was like a sophomore season if it was going to be a top five pick, but he was supposed to go really high. Mm-hmm. Um, and then had like a terrible season, never quite clicked. And now like, you know, whenever you see his name, it's like, oh, like, I remember that guy. There's a couple guys who made it to the league uh, and had good careers. There's a couple guys who were huge busts. So I'll just, for context, give you the first team. So the first team All-American High School in um, 2012 was Nerlens Noel, Jabari Parker, Shabazz Muhammad, Kyle Anderson, and Isaiah Austin. So all of them except Isaiah Austin made it to the NBA and he only didn't make it because he had, um, I think it was Marfan syndrome, which was like a a disease where he like, they like medically couldn't clear him to play because he might physically die. So how's this for a murderer's row of talent? Nerlens Noel, Jabari Parker, Shabazz Muhammad (laughs) and Kyle Anderson. Well, when you said that, um, so slam love getting high school guys in interviewing them. And then I imagine I just immediately thought if I was in high school and I had this like international magazine come and interview me, that's going to go right to my head. Um, mm. Which is just <laughs> going right to your head is the perfect catchphrase for Shabazz Muhammad. So mm. I th- I'm not trying to say that this is like just sort of ruining these guys or just boosting up these guys' egos, but that probably wasn't good for Shabazz Muhammad. But it's weird to see Kyle Anderson in there. You're you're the college guy. I I almost avoid it like the plague. So was Kyle Anderson still slow mo at UCLA, or was it? Did he he went there? Um, yeah. Fuck! What a name drop, man. Like I don't want to <laughs> know where all these guys went. But was Kyle Anderson still the slow mo? He was just happened to be better because he was playing worse competition, or was he? He he was. He still had the same game. But he played as like a big point forward for them, but because like in the Pac-12 he was playing against a whole bunch of you know not exclusively, but in the Pac-12 there's a lot of white dudes, so he didn't look as slow. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like as noticeable that he was like moving, you know, like a full step behind <laughs> everybody else on the court when he was in college. He was pretty good. I didn't watch heaps of him just because yeah. it was difficult um, to watch a lot of um, West Coast basketball. Like, they mainly showed the stuff on ESPN where I was watching it on the East Coast. So yeah. I watched a lot of Nerlens Noel um, and a lot of Jabari Parker at Kentucky and Duke respectively, but not a lot of Shabazz Muhammad and Kyle Anderson. Um, some notable reserves who made it from, so they did the second team, the third team, and then honourable mentions, who made it into the league and had, you know, like a good career. Stephen Adams and Marcus Smart were both on the second team that year. And then Gary Harris, Julius Randall, Andrew Wiggins, and Glenn Robinson the third were all honorable mentions Wiggins was only an honorable mention because he was a junior in high school not a senior that year so he like as a you know a junior when everyone else was a senior made it onto the honorable mentions like the top like 20 ish players in the league which is pretty good yeah pretty good man um i love andrew Wiggins, as you know so (laughs) making the honorable mentions in and dante's notable reserves team the um the the busts that I alluded to before, uh, guys that made the league but one way or another just had pretty forgettable careers. Or in Anthony Bennett's case, pretty memorable careers but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Anthony Bennett uh, was on the second team. Sam Decker, who won a national championship with Wisconsin in 20, 
16, maybe. Frank, and Frank then, the Tank team. Yeah, got drafted um, along with Frank the Tank in the first round. And then it turns out neither of them were very good. Uh, and then fellow not very good uh, people, Chris Dunn <laughs> and Mitch McGarry, who was yeah. Mitch McGarry was the first round pick. Um, for OKC. Yeah, yeah, for OKC out of Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was actually really good though. Like he was one of those hyper efficient bigs that would just like oh yeah, in the paint, put it up. I said, I said I like maybe like ten episodes ago. I can't remember what the context was, but I, we were talking about like failed college guys, and I was like, there was a moment in the NBA in like 2013 when Mitch McGarry was having a having a you know a bit of a, a surge, and I was like, yeah. oh yeah, Mitch McGarry, and then yeah, he got you know busted for violating the NBA's drug use policy repeatedly. Yeah, which uh, and he's fucking, dude. Imagine how much money he lost out on. Like, if he was just Demontis Sabonis and and just like put up his fifteen and ten each game and did that for fucking fifteen years, he would be one very rich man and maybe even have like a couple of rings because that's important coming off the bench. So, fucking poor bloke, man. Well, not poor. he's not. Even, I just googled him. He's not even playing basketball at the moment. Oh, maybe he's one of those dudes that didn't even like basketball though. I mean, let's, Maybe. let's, let's that's conjecture. Let's, let's it move. could be, no, it could be a conjecture. I'm just going to find out where he, what he, what he did. It doesn't even. Okay. So by 2017, he returned to bowling. <laughs> okay. Returned and to that's bowling. the, that's the last, um, yeah, that is, that's the last. That's the last we ever saw of It's him. the last entry in the Wikipedia page. He returned to bowling. Okay. Did he come back? I don't know. <laughs> but how um, about that? So there's like, it's just crazy to look back in 2012 and be like, okay, so the, the people who everyone was like fucking crazy about, these guys who got like their full page photo in the magazine, it's like includes Shabazz Muhammad. Hmm. Jabari Parker, who, yes, a lot of it was injury related the reason why he hasn't his career hasn't panned out because he was a dynamic scorer when he still had two knees but two years ago he's you know talking about they don't pay you 20 million to make for you to they don't pay you 20 million for you to play defense that's what he said Mm. Jabari I've got news for you they paid you 20 million so that if they want to try and trade for a superstar they've got a cap salary that matches it they don't pay you 20 million because they think you're worth it Oh, fucking don't hold anything back. Um, just I know it's probably not smart, but let's just go back to Mitch McGarry. Have you ever been in a bowling alley um, and just seen a professional bowling team come in? No, I, I, I haven't. Have you? So I was there for my little brother's birthday last year or the year before. And, you know, we were just at the bowling alley, just having a bowl as you do. And then all these guys come in wearing matching shirts and probably three lanes is just taken up by these guys. They're not eating chips like the rest of us. They're not drinking Pepsi. They just come in and just start rocketing down these things and then obviously the bowling balls. And that was their warm-ups. They've all got their own shoes. They don't need to hire it like the fucking the rest of us plebs in society who are hiring those gross shoes. And, yeah, I just thought I'd share my experience with you that it was very intimidating just to hear in those three lanes. There's no awkward walkbacks as well. It's just constant ball after ball after ball, and these guys are just throwing them down there. That was at the local Greensboro Bowl. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, as you wish. (laughs) On the topic of Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker from May 2013, this absolute hurl 
of a color. This was, warranted, though. This was this, there was hype around these guys that was legitimate. Oh no, genuinely legitimate hype. But like, you know, it's, it is, it's very in slams character to massively <laughs> jump the gun. The cover on the, they, they had the cover article, Jabari Parker, Andrew Wiggins posing together with their arms crossed, looking real menacing. And the caption, like the you know, little sub quote is young money. The game's next superstars have arrived. Mm. So again, not saying that you, you know, can criticize in, in the moment, but seven years later, I mean, that's pretty fucking funny. Yeah. Well, I remember there was like Andrew Wiggins is the next LeBron and Jabari Parker is the next mellow. Like that was the comp. Ten yeah. years on, and we've just got another carbon copy of these guys. Obviously, didn't turn out that way. Um, <laughs> but just speaking of iconic covers, do you remember the two real cover with Anthony Davis and Boogie in New Orleans? And no. Was, oh, can you please Google right now two real with the number two um, slam cover? So it was like green with like diamond. Oh, it's like bejeweled. Yeah. It's like, it's like Boogie Cousins and Davis with like diamond encrusted riding and a basketball with a diamond encrusted fleur de lis. And there's a pelican on one side and a fucking alligator in um, that. That's that straight is out of Vostok. Straight out of Vostok, that alligator is. Yeah, right. That is fucking whack, man. That is that is probably the grossest cover of any magazine on the planet. Yeah, for anyone listening, this is this is honestly worth a, worth a Google. That's that's genuinely visually repulsive. <laughs> like none of the colors match. Um, just too much like fake diamonds, and yeah, it's just yeah. Give it a Google. Two real boogie cousins or two real slam cover. One of the crazy things that I found. Um, like reading through these and looking at the names of the journalists, most of them were just like, you know, random people I'd never heard of. But Royce Young, who's now for um, ESPN um, and does a lot of stuff, um, he used to write for them. And so did Jordan Ritter-Con, who I don't know where he currently is, but he does like heaps of, oh, he's at the ringer. He does heaps of long form stuff. So these dudes grinding away, writing about like, I, I, I can't even stress it enough. Anyone who's read Slam will know like some of the articles about like the most abstract, esoteric players you'll ever find. It's like, it's like, it's like mid-career Nick Young and you've got to grind like an article. Like it's no secret that Nick, Nick Young could score, but did you know that he had an epiphany which really helped him tighten up his game on the defensive end? And then it's like throw it to a quote from Nick Young and then it's like, the like input where he went to college product has really <laughs> tightened up his game this season, averaging a career South high Carolina. eleven and a half points. It's like it, it's re- must have been really hard to write some of these articles. Like just, <laughs> just um, like it's not good. Guys. Anyway, these guys grinded away. Royce Young and Jordan Ritterkon, and you know what? Good for them. They made it out. They made it out. All right, let's All move right. on. Let's move on to the Kevin Love one because. Not only which is, one, which one? Just Slam was obsessed one. with Minnesota Kevin Love. But did you know he had thirty rebounds? <laughs> <laughs> I did know that. Okay, well then let me just tell you again in three more magazines. Yeah, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, the the two covers that the two covers that I possessed were Kevin Love on separate ones. So there was one 
with Kevin Love and uh, Ricky Rubio called Minnesota Twice. I think that's a reference to like the Minnesota Twins, which is the baseball team and the fact that Minnesota is called the Twin City. I think that's what it is, but it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense as a headline. And then the other one, which is my personal favorite involving Kevin Love, is Kevin Love and Michael Beasley from when Michael Beasley got traded to Miami after they signed LeBron James. And you may not remember it, but much like Mitch McGarry, there was a um, there was a minute there where it was like Michael Beasley. He's going to be good. He's going to be good. So. In his first season in Minnesota, he averaged almost 20 points a game, six boards, um, shot 45% from the field and 37% from three. It's pretty fucking good for a 22-year-old who, you know, like was the number two pick but got traded because the best player in the entire world came to play for his team. That's not bad. And then from there, it just fell off a cliff. And the next season, he was injured and out of the team for... Um, violating team conduct and basically just being the wacko Michael Beasley that we um, that we see today. Since then, he has not started total uh, more than seventy games since then, since twenty eleven twelve. Yeah, hasn't aged well. No, hasn't aged well whatsoever. Yeah, but did, did you know how many rebounds Kevin Love got in one game? <laughs> Did you know that he was the first person with a 30-30 game since Moses Malone in 1982? I did know that because they meant, yeah, like you said, they mentioned it in every single fucking article. Every One of my favorite page. ones was the inevitable Lin Sanity, Jeremy Lin hype cover, mm-hmm. um, which was, it was really, really interesting timing because when Sanity from my memory happened in like January, right? Yeah. It was like January went on for like 20 games, which takes you through to like the end of February. This magazine was published in April, this cover, and it was Jalen is the new king of New York. This is April, a full two months after Lynn Sanity is like in full flight. Anyway, I say Slam got caught up in the hype because this was right before the playoffs when the Knicks got steamrolled by the Heat in the first round. Um, and then, like, two months after this article was published, Jeremy Lin signs his three-year $25 million deal in Houston that the Knicks couldn't match because they front-loaded it. And then he's gone. Talking about something that hasn't aged well seven years later, this is something that didn't age well, you know, like two printed. months later. Yeah. <laughs> this did not pass the Nene test. This <laughs> this article did not pass the Nene test. Yeah. I mean, you've got to get something out there. You've got to quickly get out like, fuck, we haven't written about Jeremy Lin and it's already gone. But if we don't, then we're never going to get another chance to write about Jeremy Lin. So you you got to give it to him. you got to capitalize on the clicks whilst they're going. Yeah. All right. Can yeah. we talk about this next one? Because I want to ask you about Kendall Marshall. Oh, my God. I could talk about Kendall Marshall for fucking years. <laughs> so, this one is the... It's, it's from 2012. It's about the 2012 North Carolina Tar Heels um, starting five. So, that year, they were um, the best team in the country in 
regular season, like of like the you know big teams that had like a chance to actually win the championship, they were the best team. Won the ACC, they only lost four games all year. They finished thirty four and eight, and then they lost in the Elite Eight. So their best player was Harrison Barnes, and then they had three dudes who got drafted. So Kendall Marshall, uh, Tyler Zeller, and John Henson, who you may remember from being my all time favorite NBA center, mainly because of the work that he did at UNC when he was just beast. And then Dexter Strickland, who was like the fifth, you know, he was just like a random dude, fifth guy, blew out his knee that season and then like never, never made it. So I'll answer your question about Kendall Marshall. Let me tell you. Kendall hey, Marshall. I haven't even asked a question, man. But yeah, that, that was going to be my question. Can you just tell me about him? <laughs> Kendall Marshall averaged 10 fucking assists a game I in know. college. I know. In college. <laughs> think, of, think of every point guard. And it's not like he was playing on like Marquette, you know, not like playing Mar- like every year it would be the Murray State Racers would be the last team that are undefeated because they play in the Mountain West Conference and they're like, they've got good players, you know, yeah. I, like Isaiah Cannon came from Murray State, like they've got NBA players, but no one else in that conference does. <laughs> so they would always be like 20 and 0. That's Kendall Jamarant. Marshall was playing. That's Jamal Rance one, yeah. Jamal Rance, Murray State. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. Anyway. Kendall Marshall was playing on North Carolina in the ACC. So he's playing on that season, the best team in the most difficult basketball conference and averaging 10 assists. It's like, it's unheard of. He led the, he led the nation in assists two years in a row. Got drafted 13th to the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. Wasn't very good in the NBA because despite his big 6'4", 195-pound point guard frame, he was so fucking slow that he just got played off the court. Like this man was nobody's idea of even a, a league average defender. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he just got played off the court. I couldn't have him. But like in college, this dude was like a pre-natural passer, like the best passing vision you've ever seen. Roy Williams, the coach at North Carolina, really loves like an up-tempo, fast-paced style. So every time there was a rebound, it was like, get it to Kendall Marshall and bam, I'm going to go. Gonna go, gonna go, gonna go. Gotta go fast was the motto of that team. Um, this is a real nostalgia chip. John Henson was in the middle with Tyler Zeller, who averaged somehow 16 points and 10 rebounds. John Henson averaged like three blocks a game and one defensive player of the year that season in the ACC. And then three dudes who ended up making the league uh, were like the reserves on that team, which was James Michael McAdoo, who won two rings, two-time NBA champion James Michael McAdoo, two rings with the Golden State Warriors. And then Reggie Bullock, who is still in the league, and PJ Hairston, who had to leave school early because of academic fraud and then got to the league and got stuck on the terrible Charlotte teams of the mid-2000s. Who's mid drafted out of the J-League? Pardon? He was the first guy to get drafted out of the G League. Yeah, he was. He was. And now he is, you could say he started what a lot of these guys are doing now, where they're going from high school to the G League. Um, yeah. You know what Kendall, Marshall, Kendall Marshall's doing right now? Because I just Googled it. What's he doing? So after a cup of tea with the Reno Bighorns and the Ogwa Caliente Clippers, um, he is now an assistant coach and... Uh, he finished his studies at UNC and now he is the director of recruiting, which is a newly created position uh, for the Tar Heels. So really? UNC, yeah, he was, a, he was a student assistant coach while studying um, under Roy Williams and yeah, has now got a full-time position 
uh, in the coaching role and he's 28 years old. Yeah, well, that makes sense because <laughs> he, um, you know, <laughs> the epitome of a floor general. Like if Kendall Marshall played basketball in 1970, he would have been a multiple-time All-NBA player. You even need a second hand. <laughs> Legitimately though, like if he, if he could play in a, um, yeah, in a, an era when defense and, um, and that wasn't important, then he'd be fine. So he, I'm just looking at his stats now. He averaged, this is NBA, in 54 games for the Lakers in 2013, he averaged almost nine assists, 8.8 assists playing 29 minutes a game. Obviously, the 2013-14 Lakers were like not super good and he only shot 40% from the field and 52% from the free throw line. <laughs> but 8.8 assists per game in the NBA, like this dude had one skill and unfortunately... For him, it wasn't the one skill that translates to the modern NBA. Yeah. You know, like if you're just a three-point shooter, you'll stick on someone's roster. He's just a passer. Mm. And, you know, he couldn't make it work. Violet Kendall Marshall, a good career. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Tyreek Evans. Uh, oh, my God. This is where it gets sad. This, 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 this one's really sad. <laughs> so this one is called Don't Curb Your Enthusiasm, which, like, I mean, come on, like, <laughs> I mean, that's just the worst. That is the worst headline I've ever heard. After his rookie rookie year, or? so this one was after his second year in the uh, off season, between uh, his second and his third year. So he won rookie of the year and then played like forty games in his second year and like wasn't very good because he was injury nagged the whole time. So basically, the gist of this pace is. Hey, his, his second year made you forget, but this guy's nasty. And in his third year, he's about to drop it. And the next thing that happened was that the Kings decided that he was better served as a small forward. Spoiler alert, he was not better served as a small forward. Um, and after being one of four players ever to average 20 points, five assists and five rebounds as a rookie. The other three being Oscar Robertson, Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And that's the way that Tyreek Evans was thought of at the start of the year. Um, sorry, at the start of this decade. They were like, this guy is going to be like the next big thing, multiple time All-NBA player. Mm. What happened next? They played him in a small forward. Uh, his points per game dropped by over four from his rookie year and his assists almost halved and the Kings posted a... 33 win percent that year and then after the next season it was quite clear that it wasn't going to happen in sacramento and so he was traded in part of a four-team trade to new orleans and i just want to emphasize this so the ultimate return that the kings got on a player who won rookie of the year and became the fourth player ever along with three like upper echelon hall of famers to average 25 and five. The ultimate return that they got was Robin Lopez and Grievous Vasquez. Or as I like to say, a Grievous Vasquez who was also part of the Rudy Gay trade. Uh, so congratulations for that. The Grievous Vasquez's best NBA talent was being in the wrong trade at the wrong time. No, he was a good backup point guard. He had size and he could hold his own as a backup point guard. I, I for some reason, really like Grievous Vasquez. He's also got a tight beard. And he played a role in those Toronto teams when they were first just sticking in. And remember, that, remember when uh, 
Dwayne Casey was about to get fired and Kyle Lowry was about to get traded and this team was about to get broken up, but then they just kept winning and winning and winning. Yeah. A lot of that was because they had capable point guard play for 48 minutes of a game with Lowry and Vasquez. And for some reason, I really like him and I really respect his career for some reason. But I don't know much more about him outside of... Uh, Outside of Toronto. Outside of two seasons with the Raptors. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you give me the side eye there, like, fuck, man. But uh, this is kind of <laughs> this is like my Colin Sexton here. For some reason, I've got like a real soft spot for him. I just love hey, Colin. Hey, guys. Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton's good. I love backup point guards that can just be solid, like Monte Morris right now. Yeah. No, you don't lose anything. This, this, one, this one really upsets me because Tyreek Evans was like a big thing when I was first becoming. An NBA fan. He just didn't have um, trust. <laughs> Once yeah, happened. well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I didn't. But it, like, Tyreek was like this big six-six point guard who could just get to the rim whenever. Mm. And injuries kind of sapped a bit of that away. And obviously, the aforementioned Kings trying to play him like out of position. Like they basically pigeon pigeonholed him off ball and made him a spot up shooter when he like, didn't shoot thirty percent from three. So he obviously wasn't very good, but. When the Kings put this ball, put the ball in his hands, like he was, he was electric. And to see what happened to him, where he, you know, like he fell from such great heights, um, in part as a um, result of lack organizational mismanagement. All you can say is Kings gonna Kings, yeah, because that's the way that it be with this team. I didn't even know we were going to be bashing the Kings today, but. Yeah, oh, we are. Today's a good day, is any? <laughs> it's Sacramento bashing season. Hey, Let's move Monday on through Sunday. Yeah, today's a good day, is any? <laughs> Let's move on to someone who you mes- mentioned just before, uh, Kyle Lowry. And this is Kyle Lowry from 2012 when he was still with the Rockets. And it, I went back and did like a bit of a deep dive on Kyle Lowry. So he was a first round pick when he came out of Villanova in 2006. 2006, Sean. So the dude's been in the league for 14 years. It's yeah. a long time. Kyle Lowry's 30, yeah, well, he's, 34 years He's got years those old. veteran movies. He's got the, he fails without ref seeing. He absolutely just, what else does he do? <laughs> he pulls guys <laughs> down when they're going for rebounds. He pulls <laughs> he, he uh, takes charges that aren't actually charges. He flops. He just does everything that, you hate to see, and I hated to see. I was, you know, how mad I was these last finals when Kyle Lowry has missed every single shot for his whole entire life in the playoffs. And in that last game, in the closeout game, he hit like a handful of threes in the first quarter and or first half. And I was like, we're not going to win this game. The Toronto Raptors are going to be champions, which is great for Toronto. But I was really upset that it was Kyle Lowry who, like, this is his one big redemption game where this is the playoff series, this is the game where he hits his shots and it's it's against my team in the finals. Like, oh, give me a break. Could you not have done that against... Who's one of their first round outs? Like, who's someone, who's someone that they lost to? Like, you know how Toronto loses their first game of every single first round playoff series? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. They're, they're big... Like their big series losses were to Washington and Brooklyn. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul Pierce called game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When when Paul Pierce called game, exactly. So the article that's in here was just in like another little like column puff piece for Lowry when he was like 25 years old, 
um, after he had was basically like traded away from the Grizzlies for nothing because he was like a locker room agitator. Um, and then finally had like a mini breakout with the Rockets. Um, and so this article was like, Kyle Lowry like committed to being the leader of the Rockets. And it was like just a little puff piece. Went back and did a bit of research. Kyle Lowry, sneaky, sneaky bad field goal shooter. Yeah, that's do you want to Do you want to put a guess on what Kyle Lowry's career field goal percentage is? Ah. Oh. Because oh. when, when Steph had his first MVP season, he actually shot really well from everywhere. Mm. But that might have been really well relative to him because I know mm. he was killer from three. All right, so so what you've got written here is in that season he shot forty percent from the floor. That's in that's in his first year with the Raptors when he was actually sneaky bad. Like in his first year with the Raptors, it's just crazy to think about that. You know, like seven years later, he's an NBA champion and he's going to be you know like going to be remembered as one of the great Raptors of all time. He averaged eleven points and six assists. Mm. And shot forty percent from the field in his first season with the Raptors. So an ignominious start, to say the least. Like he's obviously yeah. come a long way. But what's, yeah, put a guess his, on his. Fuck, forty-four. Forty-four. Yeah. It's interesting. His career field goal percentage forty-two point three. And I'll go. I'll go a step further. <laughs> his two career highs in field goal percentage was 2008 when he played 20 minutes a game and shot 47% from the field and 2016 when he played 37 minutes a game big and shot 46% from the field. Yeah. Other than that, he's never shot more than 43% in a season. It's not like he's a chucker though. Like, you know, you don't know him as the guy that just gets up shots. It's, it's not like he takes away from other players. That's, that's weird that he's a bad shooter, but he doesn't really have a stigma. It, but it, it it is weird though, right? Like you think of Kyle Lowry as someone who gets to the rim, like he knocks down open threes and gets to the rim and either gets fouled or like puts in a layup. You never think of a dude as like, you know, shooting like four like low forties. I mean, like I can tell you some very bad NBA point guards whose field goal percentage is low forties. And also, like it sounds awful to say, but fat dudes always look like they can finish in the paint, don't you reckon? Mm. Like, yeah, oh, 100%. Like, dudes are just going to bounce off him. Kevin Love, did you know he had 30 rebounds in the game? <laughs> like, guys like Mitch McGarry, <laughs> guys like that, they just look like they should be able to finish. That's weird that he's better from outside. Big anyway, boys. Let's move on to the slam top 500 players of all time in 2011. Before we do, 500 is a big number. And that's, that is a huge that's number. That's a lot of manpower. I don't know if I can name. I probably could. But naming 500 basketball players is... I couldn't name 500 basketball players. How many are in the league? Um, 400? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 12 per 30 teams. Uh, well, there you go. We could name them. But then you're getting into the Jalen McDaniels of the world. The, I'll, I'll tell you who was like number 470 on this list was Antonio McDice. <laughs> Stephen Jackson got a mention in the 400s. The yeah. weirdest one was like, and there are a couple that will get you, but the one that I was like, really? Was Ron Artest. This is pre-Meta World Peace, but Ron Artest still playing in the NBA was like 112. Yeah. He was like staggering. Ron Artest isn't the 112th best player of all time. Yeah. 
That's no true. way. They, oh, I guess so. The one thing you've got written here is that LeBron's thirty-one, so they're not projecting. Well, I mean, we can talk about the like the good guys, but well, like, Ron Artest is clearly not projecting for future growth. So it's not like Ron Artest was like, "Oh, well, what's he going to do in the last three years of his career? Is he going to?" No, 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 not at all. Yeah, it was. So that's it, that is weird. It is weird. So the the big ones you mentioned is LeBron at thirty-one, Dwayne Wade at forty-nine. Mm. and Dirk at 55. So this was before the Miami-Dallas championship. Yeah. Where Dirk won um, and LeBron and Wade lost. This was from an era when LeBron had not yet won a championship and the discourse surrounding him was great player, but will he ever win? Much like the discourse that we're seeing on the last chance moment surrounding Michael Jordan in like the late eighties, like great player, will he ever win? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously 2012 LeBron finally overcame it. And, you know, now we sit here nine years later and depending on who you speak to, LeBron is either the first or the second best player of mm-hmm. all time. I personally think that he's the second and I right. is the first. Yeah, so depending on who you speak to, but that's a pretty big jump from him, mm. like to you know. Well, I remember. Him. Have you read Bill Simmons' book of basketball? I have. And he had LeBron at seventeen, if I remember that correctly, and that was in the twenty twelve season, or no, two thousand eight. Yeah, uh, book of basketball was earlier. He had that seventeen, but he was also projecting for future growth and just trying to like save his behind for when he reads back on it. So. That's quite low considering this is already like has he's has he already joined Miami and just hasn't won a chip yet or he was, had joined but they hadn't started the season. Yeah, okay. So that's still pretty inexcusable. Like he was dragging awful Cleveland teams to the finals and losing. Yeah, but I mean like that's that's what the that's why it's so interesting though. Like that was potentially what consensus was about him. Like, yeah, like LeBron will be top thirty when it's all said and done. You know, and now it's like he, you know, we, we know what he's done since then. Um, the yeah. big thing that I that I thought was like Dirk at fifty five. Where do you think Dirk ranks all time? Let's say I don't want to say a number because I, I say a number. Say do it. I'll I'll say LeBron's one, but like I I need to go through and think like who's fifty six and who's fifty four. But no, no. Well, I mean, like, but Dirk shouldn't even be anywhere. If Dirk shouldn't even be anywhere near that, I think Dirk is probably like a top twenty player. Okay, I thought you were going to go the other direction with that. Um, no, I, no, no, no. Is, yeah, is he higher or lower than Dwayne Wade? He's six spots lower, so Wade clocks in no, at 49. No, no, sorry, in, in your hypothetical ranking oh, today. Uh, that's a good question. I think probably higher because he was better for longer. And he was more transcendent. Dwayne Wade was just a scoring guy that couldn't really shoot. And no, no, no! Don't don't do Wade dirty like that. <laughs> I Dwayne mean, Wade, like in terms of having a unique skill that changed the game. Well, I mean, you know, you don't need to be. You don't need to have a. You don't need to be. You know, have a new a unique skill that changed the game when you're like the best player on a championship team in your third season. All right, um, I'm not trying to knock Dwayne Wade, but I'm saying. You, well, if you're not trying to, you're doing a very good job. <laughs> I'm saying that we hadn't seen Dirk before and now we're seeing a million carbon copies of him, like pretty much every white Euro shooting big man. But yeah, look, fuck, I'm sort of digging myself a hole. I'm not trying to, mm-hmm. I'm not, <laughs> not trying to talk shit on Dwayne Wade, although I do have a poster of him in a Chicago Jersey and that was not fun to watch, but that's just me. 
So the case for Wade would be he's got three championships to Dirk's one. He's got a scoring title. He's like, what, like a 12-time All-Star. Um, and he's got a documentary coming out later in like 20 years. So that'll also... That's going to be... That's going to be... That's going to be cringy, but at his at his peak, Dwayne Wade was like really, really fucking good. And at various points where Miami asked him to be the point guard rather than um, a pure scoring shooting guard, he could average seven and eight assists for like months at a time and mm. really carry a team. Like he, yeah, he was really, really good. I think Dirk's better than him because Dirk won an MVP, won a chip, and Dirk's chip is. Maybe the most impressive of yeah. the last sort of you know, name name a number, yeah. um, but that 2011 chip, you know, like you look at the players that he had to beat, had to beat the up and coming Thunder, had to beat Kobe's Lakers, and then had to beat the Spurs in the conference finals, and then overcome LeBron, um, LeBron mm-hmm. and Wade. So, but I mean, their resume like Wade's a 13 time All Star, Dirk's a 14 time All Star. The difference would be that. Wade has a scoring championship, a scoring title, and Dirk doesn't. But, you know, Wade's peak was probably higher, but Dirk sustained his for longer, I think. Mm. Dirk's very, very lucky that he won that chip, though, because if he didn't, um, after winning that MVP and having to accept it on a opposing an opposing court uh, uh, after he just lost first-round series, that is a bit grim. Um and yeah, he's lucky he had the success later in his career, but early in the career, he had a couple of playoff blunders and couldn't really get over the hump. But I guess who's a player, I guess, Dwayne Wade, that hasn't had that hump um, when they're coming out through the league? Like, you know, obviously the last dance is fresh in our minds at the moment, but do you know what I mean? Who's a player who hasn't had playoff struggles early on? Who hasn't had playoff struggles early on? Yeah. Well, I mean, Dwayne Wade is... Yeah, you know, the prime example because yeah. the Heat were going to the playoffs from his second year and then in his third year they won the chip. So he came right in. But I mean, look at like uh, someone like Mello. Mello was making the playoffs early in his career but was always losing in the first round. And then the fellow 2003 draft mate, Bosch, didn't make the playoffs for like the first five years of his career. And then when they did, they like made the playoffs twice and lost it in the first round. Like Chris Bosch mm-hmm. had shocking, like staggeringly little playoff um, experience when he went to Miami. Like I, I don't. I think a lot of people don't remember or realize like how aggressively average to bad those Bosch Raptors teams were. But it's worth going back and having a look because um, they were yeah like ag- aggressively bad. But um, it sounds like now in this decade of the NBA, most young players that come in and are like the star of the team do have that issue where they don't make the playoffs for the first four years of their career. Mm. Uh, the one exception I can think of this decade would be Derek Rose, who, you know, those Bulls yeah. teams were in the playoffs from his second year. And, but, you know, other than that, you look at the top drafted guys, it's like Wall and the Wizards, mm. um, Blake yeah, and the Clippers. Yeah. Kyrie and the Cavs, like these guys taking to the top of the draft, like who end up, yeah, like being these transcendent players. Like they're drafted into bad situations and they don't even have a chance to get over the hump, before, you know, until like four or five years into their career. Mm. It's the guys who aren't drafted that high and are drafted into a better situation. So look at like Paul George taking 13th. 
Mm. He came you know, into a, a decent situation, into a, not a terrible team, and they were making the playoffs within a few years. Kawhi, Jason fifteenth, yeah, Jason Tatum, like you know these dudes who come into and it sounds elementary to say like oh guys drafted into better teams in the playoffs <laughs> earlier, but you know it really is about <laughs> breaking um, ground. It really is about fit, you know, like when they come in. Mm. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We've got two more to go. Um, I know which one I want to do last and finish on. So let's talk about uh, Jimmy Fadette for starters because <laughs> I really want to finish on that one right there. Okay. All right, I won't say what it is. Jimmy Fadette, turns out he's not very good. That's what I'm Okay, let's move Fredette. on to the last one. Top Chef Detroit. I yeah. love people talking about Greg Monroe for some reason. Um, <laughs> Bruce Monroe, it's just so fucking strange because so he was obviously in Detroit. He was on that Josh Smith-Andre Drummond team, um, especially the three-headed monster at the big position as the league was trending away from digs. Fucking kudos to the Pistons. But like, that team was supposed to work because Andre Drummond wasn't supposed to be that good and Andre Drummond was going to play like 10 minutes a game. Um, then you would obviously have shooting issues, but it was what, like 2012. But Greg Monroe, it was like such a big deal that he got traded to the Bucks uh, somewhere along in his career. I can't remember what it was. 2015-16. Okay, so it was, it was such a big deal and I really wanted to see it work. I wanted to see Moose Monroe like prove that he could do it for some reason like it, it's a bit like your colin sexton all-stars which if you haven't read that you should definitely read it on the medium forward slash the deep two with hyphens in between um i just i wanted it to work and i was watching those bucks teams and i was just like he's just a big man like why has he got this name attached to him and then like he now he's on he's on minimum contracts i don't even know if he's in the league anymore he's out of the league he was on Philly last season and couldn't do anything with Philly. But I don't know why I have this fascination with Moose Monroe and how he just couldn't do it. Like he, everyone pegged him as more than just an average center. But well, I'll tell you what happened. He was Jaleel Okafor before Jaleel Okafor because Moose Monroe in the early, early parts of this decade when he'd just been drafted, um, out of Georgetown, he was nasty and he was silky and skillful. He's like 270 pounds. So when he's, you know, down in, in the low block, in the low post, like, you know, banging into you, feel it. But he, he came into the league with such a developed arsenal of post moves that he was making experienced defenders think like, you know, the best of big man defenders at the time, your Tim Duncan's, your, uh, Marcus Sol, your Tyson Chandler's. He was taking him into the low block and scoring on them. Um, from 2011 through to his last season in Detroit, 2015, he averaged 16 points a game, bang on, and he averaged bang on 10, um, average bang on 10 rebounds every year. He shot 50% or above um, from the field. So you know, an efficient, effective big man who's good at getting into those areas where for the last 40 years, you've said you need a player who can take advantage of these areas down here with a post game. It's just that the stylistic change happened right when he was getting established. And then everyone was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah. It's, yeah. I guess it's just one of those guys that got caught in the wrong, wrong era, wrong time. He would have been great if he was playing 
if if you just swapped him out with Patrick Ewing, um, another Georgetown centre, you could say like he probably would do the exact same thing. I don't Dude, know. Greg Monroe would have made all star teams if he played in the eighties, guaranteed. Yeah. Greg Monroe would have made all star teams if he played in the two thousand. If he was drafted in two thousand four, he would have made all star teams. Yeah, I guess um, it's just an old way of thinking. That's why he had the name attached if, to him. If you want to see how viciously he got caught in the um, in the crossfire. That first season in Milwaukee, he played 79 games, averaged 15 and 9. Yeah. That was after he'd signed a three-year, $50 million contract. So they're paying him, you know, like $16 million a year, $16.5 million a year. That's a lot because the cap wasn't what it is today where that's not that much. This is a 2015 cap where $16 million is a lot. Like the max was like 21. So, you know, 16 is fucking quite a bit. That's the equivalent of like 25 now. Yeah. Um. And then the next season, he didn't start a game. He played 22 minutes a game, averaged 11 points. Mm. And then the season after that, he was traded to Phoenix in part of the Eric Bledsoe trade and we waived him immediately. So in the space of like a season and a half, he went from prized (laughs) free agent acquisition and like centerpiece of your future to traded as salary cap filler and then waived. And it wasn't because he suddenly was bad at basketball. It was just like he was just a rebounding, skillful offensive big, but he couldn't shoot threes. He didn't have a versatile enough offensive game and he wasn't a good defender. He never averaged... When you list it like that, of course. (laughs) Yeah, he never averaged a block a game. But like, you know, if he was playing in the... Yeah, if he was playing in the mid-2000s or or earlier, he would have... Yeah, he would have been a power forward. He would have scored 22 points a game, all on post touches. You know, he would have been like, you know, getting Joel Embiid diet of touches where like everyone just feeds him the ball in the post and just like clears out, lets him go to work. And because he's so good at it, he just makes it happen. Yeah. Oh, well, what a finish. Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe. The last time we mentioned him on our podcast. On I'm going to make a concerted. I'm going to make a concerted effort to make sure that it's not the last time that we mentioned. Greg him. Greg Monroe corner at the end of every episode. <laughs> talk about the Keep, Greg Monroes of the league. Keeping up with Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think if we could actually do that and what we would actually talk about. Like, where where is where is Jaleel Okafor now? Where is? Well, I mean, Jaleel Okafor is still in the league. Yeah, but, you know, that sort of player where we just have to... Yeah. Nah. Anyway. <laughs> we'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. Thanks for, thanks for having a chat with me today, Dante. It's my pleasure, Sean. It always is. Ah, hun. Um, I'm going to go make a mug cake now. So, uh, yeah, man. Nice episode. Enjoy. Uh, just before yeah. we go, remember to read the damn blog. There's really good content coming out all the time. And also next week we're doing a mailbag uh, episode where we're taking questions from the listeners. So you can get in contact with us at the deep two podcast at gmail.com or on our Instagram at the deep two or on Facebook, the deep NBA podcast and drop us a question or on our other email, which we just recently got, which is mailbag at the deep two.com. Mm. Yeah, nice actually to remember. Use- yeah, mail use that bag. one. Mail, mail, mail bag, bag at the deep2.com. Uh, 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 deep well, that was a bit of a clusterfuck. But still <laughs> send questions. We'll answer them on the show. That's always fun. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Peace out. Bye.